Welcome to Shooting the Shit. I'm Oscar Molina. And I'm Alex Lee. We were random roommates. And now we're random best mates. Oscar, today we have a very special episode. We are going to be talking to one of our super good friends and former housemate, Shayla Harris, also known as Dozer. Uh, she's going to be kind of shooting a little bit about Ultimate Frisbee, her relationship with the Stanford team, and I think it's going to be an awesome time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, here you go, folks. Here's the episode. This score made possible by the incredible breakthrough from Shayla Harris. Shayla Harris, a sophomore, and she had never played Ultimate before coming to Stanford. And Stanford's Shayla Harris swooping in. She's taken off. Rempel shot for the half. There it is. My name is Shayla Harris, a.k.a. Dozer, and I'm here to shoot the shit about Frisbee. Nice. Well, welcome aboard, Shayla, to the... Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Welcome to the uh, shooting the shit. Thank you. How does it feel to be our first guest? Oh, I didn't even know for sure. I I mean, I I had a suspicion that I was the first guest, but I wasn't... That wasn't clarified until right now, so... Yes, I'm very oh, yeah. honored. We, we, we could have had like 20 guests before you and, and you wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't know how long you've been preparing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, the great thing is that, okay, aside from you having expertise in Frisbee, we went with you because uh, if we're going to be honest, we knew your schedule would be relatively free during this quarantine. So prime, prime candidate here. It's true. I'm basically, I just sit around all day. I call my students and then I just like, wait to talk about frisbee with people so this is just right up my alley you know though normally i talk about frisbee with other people who also know about frisbee so this is like a it's a little different oh yeah this is a dumbass podcast isn't it um but i think it's a good opportunity um to kind of explain like the world of ultimate to the newcomer aka us aka potentially our other listeners out there um so to kind of kick things off can you Give us a little origin story on how Ultimate Frisbee entered your life. On how it entered my life. Okay. Well, I was coming into my first quarter at Stanford. So this was fall of 2014. And I was registering my bike, um, which basically meant that I was like standing in a very long line in the hot sun, just doing nothing. And then I was approached by a random stranger who was like, are you interested in playing a club sport? And I was like, yes, like I plan to play a club sport. And at the time I was planning to play soccer. And so then we started, she started asking me what other sports did I play in high school? And I was like, oh, I played five different sports in high school. And she was like, wow, have you ever played Frisbee? And I was like, no, (laughs) is that a real sport? And then she like gave me a little business card sized flyer and was basically like, yeah, no experience required. Like come out to practice and we'll teach you everything and so that's how I was invited out to practice and then I proceeded to actually go to practice and I kind of I was sort of like oh this is going to be easy like I'm in good shape like probably better shape than most of these other people I don't know and then it was like extremely extremely hard and I was like so 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 tired after practice it was like sprinting for like three hours straight um which is like so not how you play soccer um but is how you play ultimate, which I didn't know at the time, but I was just like, I have no idea why this is so hard. Like, and all these people are so good. And then I just kept, I just, I just kept going back. Nice. You just kept running. I just kept running. <laughs> what would you say are like the top physical requirements for Frisbee? Cause you mentioned it was different from soccer and that you were sprinting, but more continuously or like what other characters? Yeah. 
I mean, I guess there are ways to play zone defenses in Frisbee, of course, but um, most commonly you play person-to-person defense, which basically means that, like, you are – you're sprinting, like, a, a large amount of the time because your person's either trying to cut to get open, so they're trying to, like, juke you out with footwork or maybe just with speed – um, so you're sprinting with them there and then, or they're like sprinting to clear to get out of the way for the next cut to come. So I mean, being quick and like, a, like agile is a big part of it. Like we do a lot of speed ladders. We do a lot of sprints with a lot of turning, like being able to like running like a 70 yard sprint is a little, like, it's obviously like still important, but being able to turn really quickly, I think is like an even more powerful skill because you can cut and defend a lot easier that way. Got it. What's a cut? what's a cut for the beginner what's a cut okay um i figured that people would know this because i guess other sports do cuts cutting yes, like football. Soccer, soccer football cut. yeah and you make cuts in soccer i would say that i would say that cutting in soccer is like slightly different because it's less or like cutting in soccer feels more like just like running to a certain place kind of and cutting an ultimate is more about like making sure that you have like um like the appropriate angle and often involves like sort of juking. Like we talk a lot about like cutting out and then cutting under. So cutting just basically means running somewhere at usually like as fast as you can. Um, And when we say out and under, we mean like away from the person with the Frisbee, like you're running deep and then coming under is coming back towards the person with the Frisbee. Got it. How do you score points in Frisbee? That, so there's there's two end zones, kind of similar to foot, like kind of like a football field. There's two end zones and then a big middle section, and so you score by catching it inside the end zone. And key is that you can't move with the frisbee. So once you catch it, you have like two steps that you're allowed to slow down. Um, it is not too free step. You don't get to like catch it and then just take two giant steps. Like it's just like you get to slow down and then you need to pass it to someone else to advance the disc down the field. Okay, if you were to describe frisbee to someone who's never heard of it or like watched ultimate what mix of sports is it and like if you were to rank which sports it's most similar to what would that order be generally people talk about it kind of as being like having big features of like soccer combined with basketball okay i guess would be like two like pretty common ones like there are aspects of football i know i know less about football personally but yeah like soccer in the sense that like you are playing on a large field and trying to like advance the disc down it basketball in the sense that like you can't run with it. Um, it, it would, it's kind of like if you pick up your triple in basketball, you have a pivot foot so you can pivot around, but um, then you have to pass to move the disc. And then I guess there are aspects similar to football. Like you start off with like a giant throw that's called the pull that is essentially like a kickoff. So like the defending team starts with it, they pull it to the, offense and then run down and try to defend them and then so and similar to football it like the the direction you go switches after every point so after someone scores they're not defending that end zone got it and is there positions there are there are two there are two main positions handlers and cutters so cutters are um i mean we were talking about cutting before they're they're like people who specialize in getting open i guess and gaining yards um, and handlers are people are more like throwing specialists. So generally you'll have someone will like have the disc at any given time, might be a handler, might be a cutter. 
the rest of the cutters will be downfield of that person trying to get open so they can pass it to them. And then the handlers will generally stay either even with or slightly behind the disc so that if none of the cutters get open, the person who has the frisbee can then turn around and just hit an easy pass back to their handler as like a safety. And then that, that handler will, their job will then be to like distribute the disc um, to the rest of the players on the field. So it's almost like two different subclasses were of throwers and catchers, except I, I understand that everyone has to be like well-rounded in ultimate, right. but there are people yeah. who specialize in arm stuff and then people who specialize in leg stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. And especially in college, I mean, most people at this point don't start playing until college, though the youth scene is like rapidly growing. But when, when people first start playing, it is, it feels a lot more divided like that. Like handlers are people who know how to throw cutters are people who don't like the higher, um, the more advanced you get in ultimate, the more cutters are expected to throw as well, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is the daily struggle. And which of those <laughs> are you? I'm a cutter, a cutter who's working on getting better at throwing, Okay, but probably not as hard as I should be. Okay. Do you feel like that was a, that was like a natural position for you coming from like a soccer background? Um, yeah, I definitely feel like I, like my, my skills in soccer, which were like being quick, being able to like stay. I mean, I played center back, so I feel like one of my skills was like not getting beat by a forward. And I would do, I was like pretty good at like containing, like as a forward's like running towards me, like I wouldn't necessarily steal, try to steal the ball every time, but I was pretty good at not getting beat, which is, and the footwork of that is actually like somewhat similar to how you play defense and ultimate, which is like, you're just sort of trying to shepherd the person who's cutting. Like, so ultimate's a non-contact sport. You cannot, you're not supposed to touch the other players, but you can, you do need to put your body in the way and dictate where your cutter is moving. And I think I learned a lot of that from playing soccer for so many years. Um, and just knowing how not to just let somebody sprint by me, like all those kind of things, I think translated pretty easily into playing good defense in ultimate. I think the offense in ultimate was, I'd maybe been less well-trained in, but it came pretty naturally to me because I was able to, for the most part, just like run faster than people. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to spend a lot of time like learning creative cutting techniques when I first started playing because I, I could just sort of run fast. Um, and then as I like age in the sport, I like picked up on those things, which allowed me to then play at a higher level. Yeah. Do you have stats? What's the, what's your hundred meter time or your 40 yard? Do we got numbers on there? Miss fast? Uh, no, I actually don't remember the last time that I ran a timed anything, a timed mile, a timed, a timed hundred or 40 or anything. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> Oscar, when was the last time you were timed on anything aside, like an exam? The last time I was timed, well, I think it's been South time things. And in particular, it's because Shayla here, aka Dozer, has challenged me with regards to my inability to run 100 meter really fast. I've told her that I can't run it under 16. And then I went out to time myself with a couple friends to prove to her that I cut in a night. And I can't. I hit like maybe like a 1580, like 1604, something like that, but never any faster. I just, and I still just cannot believe that. Like, I, I just actually, you can definitely run 100 meters faster than 16 seconds. I, I cannot, Shayla, and I, I've, I've tried my entire life, okay? You don't have to remind me of my, my inabilities. As someone who did track back in high school, the qualifiers for, like, middle schools to go to states was, like, 12-5. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. 
<laughs> and also like the increments in sprinting short distances is like huge like yeah they time things for like the the nearest like hundredth of a, of a second mm-hmm. i think you have it in your app here um you just have to keep at it <laughs> i don't but um, okay shifting a little bit back to kind of like your your stanford ultimate squad was there like a single point that you could like point to where you like fell in love with that culture and we know that you were in love because you've been with them for four years yeah um and it was like by far the biggest and most important thing that I did at Sanford. I literally did not do anything else extracurricularly. Like I didn't join any other clubs or anything. I was just featured on a different podcast type thing, a radio story that one of my good friends from Stanford made about Women's Ultimate and its move to the professional arena. Um, and she asked me like pretty much the exact same question. So I guess I could tell the same story, which is that when I was a freshman, I didn't really understand the game of ultimate at all. I was just like, oh, this is like a hard thing that I feel really tired after I do. I guess that's good. Like these people seem really fun and the culture seems fun. Um, We went to our first tournament. We won all the games. And I was like, whoa, like we're really good. (laughs) I didn't know. Um, We went to our second tournament. We won all the games. And then we got to the championship against Oregon. And we were losing pretty badly. We were down like several points right off the bat. And I wasn't playing very much, not that I expected to at all. I was like, yeah, please don't put me in. Like, <laughs> I, I just want to win the game. I don't care about playing in it. But anyway, one of my teammates at one point in that game got like this amazing layout D, which, which I mean, a layout means that you like dive for the disc, like you throw your body to the ground to get there. And a D meaning like a defensive play. So she like to protect, someone was like going deep or whatever on the other team and they threw like a big, huge pass to them. And she like, laid out on D and she got this amazing D and I was like on the sideline watching as I started crying just a little bit like probably like one tear but I was like wow like I'm emotionally touched by seeing this display of athleticism and that's crazy like I don't remember like crying for athletic endeavors before ultimate I mean out of frustration certainly but not out of a sense of awe that's pretty wild at what point did you know because at least how you described it, Stanford's like killed it in terms of just like success in its ultimate Frisbee program. Like, how did it feel, I guess, knowing that, you know, it's like you had no concept of the sport, then you join this team and you're doing what you're being taught to do. And then it's like you go out to compete against other colleges and you realize like, holy crap, like we're up here, you know, how did, I don't know if you could describe kind of that feeling or like awareness that came So like one of the first things that we did after the team was officially created. So like we spent all of the fall quarter just like teaching the sport, trying to get people to come out to practice. So unlike other club sports, which like on the first weekend will like have a tryout and then just choose their team right away, like basketball, soccer, whatever things people grow up playing. Ultimate spends the entire first quarter of school just teaching the sport because nobody knows what they're doing. And then towards the end of fall quarter, we have tryouts if you want to try out for the A team. So I did that. And then they chose the team like the week before or like the yeah, like the week right before Thanksgiving break. So one of the very first things we did when we came back for winter quarter was we had a goal setting meeting. And I, of course, had had like similar goal setting meetings for like high school sports and other things that I'd done. Um, And I was like not (laughs) um, not a big fan of goal setting meetings. Because in high school, they had so often been, like, just really, I don't know, the goals we set were just not applicable to our season. Like, they were not reachable. They were not measurable, whatever. Like, what do they call SMART goals? Like, 
they have to have these like qualities, whatever. It's like an acrostic poem with the word smart. I can't remember all the adjectives, it's, but uh, it's like measurable is, is like the M achievable, like, uh, relatable. I don't know. <laughs> oh, time. Yeah. Timely. Um, anyway, there, there was like, whatever. And so I was kind of like, whatever, like these goal setting meetings never mean anything. Like we're just going to make some nominal goals and then forget about them. And like, we're just going to play our season. But, and so I went into this goal setting meeting with that feeling. And then at the goal setting meeting, people on the team, like the, the best people on the team, the people who were like fourth and fifth years were like talking about their goals or whatever. And they were like, I think we should try to win nationals. And I was just sort of like rolling my eyes in my head being like, ah, oh, another one of these. Like, it's just like my high school soccer team saying they want to win states or whatever when we can't even win our league and we all know it. <laughs> like, But so I was like, whatever, like we're, our goal is to win nationals, I guess. And then after going to the first tournament, I was like, wait, like we could actually do this. Or like, it seems like we could actually do this because we're just like crushing all these teams all the time. And like, I didn't. I mean, I didn't know what level we were playing at. I'd never played the sport, and I'd only been to Superfly practices. Superfly is the name of Stanford Women's Ultimate Team. But yeah, so I was, and so it, beca- it had become apparent to me by that second tournament that, like, wow, like we could actually do this, which was also why it became so devastating to continuously lose to Oregon. <laughs> is, is Oregon the top competitor? Um, at that time, yes. Okay. At that time, Oregon was, yeah, they were ranked number one. I think for like most of that year and the next and my freshman year, they were the only team that we lost to. So we had one really bad tournament where we lost like five out of our seven games. But like, aside from that one horrible tournament, they were the only team we lost to the whole season. And they, yeah, they were like super rivals and I had a lot of feelings about it. (laughs) You want to, you want to start spilling some of those feelings? Basically, like, I think of Oregon, at that time, Oregon was very much my nemesis. Like, in every, in in the most, like, definite sense of the word, a nemesis being, like, the one thing that takes down your, your dream, like, your, like, arch rival who will, who was always there to destroy you. Like, that was 100% Oregon to me, because I was like, we have every, like, we have the tools, we have everything we can need, and then there's Oregon always ready to, like, take us down. And I just felt, I, I... my first like two years of ultimate, I was like, every game we lose is an injustice in my mind. Like there was some, some aspect of athletic justice that was being unfulfilled every time that we played Oregon, because to me, like the old, the older players on my team, the fourth and fifth years who'd been around and were like really carrying the team. Like I just saw them as like Frisbee gods who were working so hard all the time. Like, the, the culture of ultimate with regards to like working hard in practice and being intense, I had like never experienced something analogous to that in any of my other years of playing sports. And like I said, I played a lot. Of, I played like I played four different varsity sports in high school. Um, and like the culture of like, we're just going to go out. We're not doing it for anyone else but ourselves. Like we're doing it because we love the sport and we're going to work like as hard as we can every single practice, every single day. That didn't exist in the other sports that I'd played. And I really, really admired them for that. And I just was like, these people deserve so much. They deserve to win. They deserve to have their efforts rewarded by winning and by like reaching this ultimate goal that we have of winning nationals. And so when we would like lose to Oregon and we went on to lose to Oregon in the national championship in the final, I was like, this is a huge injustice. Like <laughs> these people deserve so much more and we didn't we didn't achieve it and we I've let them down in some way because I wasn't able to contribute. I wasn't able to give them everything they deserve. 
so yeah, a very uh, somewhat moralizing um, <laughs> framework, but that is how I felt about it. I felt that it was a matter of justice that we win. That's that's an interesting point that you bring up because I, I was like doing a little bit of research on like the origins of Ultimate, and it's a it like sprang out of uh, I don't know if you know the history dozer, but came out of American counterculture of the late 1960s, and I feel like a lot of what you describe and sort of you know the deserving and doing it for like your own sake along with this interesting role that maybe you can comment on of ultimate being a self-refereed sport like all of that i feel like it ties into just like the culture that's built up around it like what's your take on that or like when you were first exposed to like oh hey we kind of regulate our own games yeah i think yeah so the history of ultimate is pretty i mean it's very short it ultimate just celebrated its 50th anniversary as a sport like a couple of years ago and for me, the self-officiation aspect is like what truly sets it apart as, I mean, as I, what I think is the best sport, um, because it makes the, it makes playing the game actually about the sport and respecting the sport as the game that we love and not about using the rules to our advantage and the way that other sports I think end up doing like, um, for example, soccer has a lot of flopping and a lot of. Like, I mean, I literally had a soccer coach when I was like 12. It was my first season playing club soccer. And my coach literally told us, oh, when you're when you're defending a corner kick and you're matched up on someone in the box, just sort of pinch them in the side. Just like take your like when the ref's not looking, just pinch them right in their side and they'll be too distracted to to focus on scoring the goal. And I was just like, what? Like, why would I do that? That's not yeah. <laughs> that's not playing soccer. That's like I don't even know what that is, but I mean, I just feel like that is that kind of culture comes out in sports that have referees because the onus of like, because like the onus of like holding up the integrity of the sport doesn't fall on players. People think that it falls on the referee to like make sure the game is fair, which is just ridiculous. It's like acting like you don't have agency to like determine whether you're actually playing fair. You have to get the referee to determine that for you. Like, no, you know what you're doing. Like, and and we and in ultimate we expect you to like we expect you to like take responsibility for that. And when you make a mistake, um, or like make a bad choice, whether it was on purpose or not, and you like somehow break the rules or jeopardize the safety of another player, like you have to stand there and talk to them about it. And you have to stand there and like explain to them like why you did it and like whether you agree if it was a foul or not, and you have to like actually talk about it. As opposed to in other sports where it's like, maybe I can pinch somebody in the side and then like, I'll never talk about it. And then we'll just both leave feeling like cheated and angry because the ref didn't see it and I was cheating and like, whatever. It just makes mm -hmm. the whole experience of playing the sport feel much more respectful, I think, from like every angle. Do you feel like in that respect and maybe beyond that, your own personality was a, a perfect like match me in heaven with ultimate or was there a little bit of like give and take where you were, you know, kind of molded by the culture of the sport culture of Superfly, and vice versa? I think <laughs> from, I mean, I would like to say like, yeah, like it, this is the sport I've been waiting for my whole life. Like I've just, I've just been on this, <laughs> this mission to be like a morally good athlete and ultimate is just, so well acclimated to that um but i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that i necessarily like actively disliked other sports for that before 
like certainly ultimate has like influenced me to think more about these issues um, and think more about the implications of asking a referee to, I guess, like preside over a game um, versus like having the players do it. Like that was, that just wasn't something on my mind before. So it wasn't like something that I was actively like, this is dumb. But now I'm kind of actively like, this is dumb (laughs) for other sports to do this. It like jeopardizes the integrity of the sport and the players who play it. Um, So I feel like it's definitely, it's definitely something that ultimate has taught me. Um, And it helped that like my introduction to ultimate was not, oh, there's this like group of like weird hippies playing this sport, air quotes, sport like out on the field while they're like drinking and wearing funny outfits. Like that was not my introduction to the sport. And like, I think that probably is like a a somewhat common introduction to the sport, especially for people who don't play it. They just kind of think of ultimate as something like that. My introduction to the sport was very much like, this is an extremely intense athletic endeavor and we're trying to win. And like, you're going to run harder and faster than you ever have in your life. And we're serious about it. Um, And so seeing like, that side of ultimate where it's like a super serious intense sport still take on the like spirit of the game that's what the like standard of sportsmanship is called in ultimate and like and totally buy into spirit of the game and buy into self-officiation kind of merge the two in a way that really legit like legitimized spirit of the game and then also set me on the path to like thinking that it was better than all all other sports Sweet. I think I think that might be a good time to take a quick break and uh, hop into uh, one of our segments that we're trying to get going. We featured it in the first episode. If you haven't listened to that, check that out. A little uh, would you rather. Uh, this one's ultimate frisbee theme. Oh, great. <laughs> so everyone close your eyes. Imagine you're in... Uh, not, oh, Sheila's actually closing her eyes. I'm, um, I, you told me to. Of course you I'm going to close, close them. Uh, um, you're you're in the you're in the the finals. Would you rather, upon release of the frisbee, that frisbee turns into like a little puppy? You've just lobbed this frisbee across the end zone, and upon release, it turns into a cute little puppy. Or would you rather be in the end zone and a split second before you catch the frisbee, it turns into a knife, blade first? <laughs> 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 All right, wait, quick clarification, Alex. Do you throw a puppy or catch a knife? So is the puppy, at what point in the path in the air does the Frisbee turn into the puppy? As soon as you release? As, um, like, like it's out of range. You can't catch it. Okay, so it's like midway in its parabolic path and and it's about, and it turns into a puppy because on the knife one, it turns into a knife right before you catch it. Yeah, I, the assumption is that the the puppy is following the same path as the frisbee. Okay. And it goes very far. I think I would rather throw the puppy. I trust my teammates to catch a puppy. Especially because most ultimate players are just so in love with dogs that I'm sure that they would do everything in their power to catch it. Okay. Now we're assuming that Oscar is a normal guy who's not on the national champions ultimate frisbee team. Wait, so I'm throwing it to Oscar? <laughs> Or, uh, yeah, assume Oscar is the catcher. Okay, so I have to decide whether I want Oscar to try to catch the puppy. Or a knife. Or I catch a knife. You know, I kind of, there's part of me that's like, I could catch a knife without getting too cut. Same. 
I mean, I, so the way you would, you would do, you would do a clap catch. You would do a clap catch, which is how I would definitely 100% catch the Frisbee. If I was in the end zone of the national final, I would mm-hmm. definitely try to cap, clap catch it. That's the safest way to catch. Um, safest meaning like you're least likely to drop it. I'd catch, I'd catch a dog with a clap catch. I get, I call it for, with my students. I call it a baby shark catch because they all know the baby shark dance. Um, so I like try to tell them like, you got a baby shark, catch it. That's the best way. It's reasonable. I so think I would, I would throw the puppy. Okay. I'm not, I don't, I'm not personally that big of a fan of dogs, but <laughs> maybe that's factoring into my decision. Alex, what would you do? Oh, I, I'd probably catch a knife, dude. I can't okay. do that to a dog. I'd, I'd catch a knife too. I play a lot with knives, so I feel like it's just another day, you know? Just another day of getting stabbed by a flying knife. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, let's let's jump right back into non sequitur. <laughs> I have a question if I can hop in with it. We finished off um, before the segment talking about how a lot of people are introduced to Frisbee with sort of that hippie culture and the drinking and all these get ups. What are some of the biggest, you know, myths and misconceptions about Frisbee uh, that you think exist and which, you know, are true? What's not true? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there are definitely stereotypes, and I and most I think that like a a good number of them, you can you can find some truth in a good number of them. I think like the the ultimate like biggest myth is just that it's not a sport. Like people are like, oh, that's not a real sport. It's like first of all, well, what is a real sport? And second of all, it's way harder than so many other sports, in my opinion. I've played a lot of other sports, so yeah, it's definitely a real sport. I mean, there's ways to play any sport that doesn't make that makes it into not a real sport. Like if you just go out and like mess around with a soccer ball and your and your friends, like yeah, that, that's not a real sport either. Just like going out and messing around with a frisbee, but playing ultimate is like certainly as real as playing any other sport that I can think of. I mean, par- partly that stereotype is because people don't know about the various levels that you can play ultimate at. Like I think a lot of people probably know that you can go like play ultimate in a park with your friends, or like you see people like throwing a frisbee around. But not very many people know that there exists like an entire nationwide like system of club teams at various levels that then play against each other in sectionals and regionals and national tournaments. Um, much less that there is like an like a national system for like tryouts where they then form the USA men's, women's, and mixed teams, and then those teams get sent to an international tournament to play against other countries. And now there's even professional ultimate teams in like most major cities. Right now, only professional men's teams in most major cities, but the women's game is also growing at the professional level. Um, in fact, the Bay Area was supposed to have their first women's team in the first um, season this year, but that's all, of course, been canceled, which is sad because a lot of people worked really hard and for a long time to make that happen. And, and also, I was going to get to play on it. <laughs> But I suppose we will be waiting until next year, possibly, or maybe have like some kind of super shortened season, like towards the beginning of summer. Not sure. But yeah, I think people just don't know all the levels and like venues at which Frisbee is played. And so they are quick to think that it's not a real sport because they think that there's no real competition. But there is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of real competition. Yeah. If your personality is any indication, yes, it is a very competitive <laughs> <laughs> culture going back to kind of your first point about how people don't think it's like a real sport and I, I wonder if that's kind of rooted in like childhood where people were playing like 
basketball and football from the age of like five or something. And then they build up this relationship with the sport. And then that led me to kind of thinking about, well, ultimate Frisbee is really just, you need a field which exists in many high schools and middle schools and elementary schools, so on. And you need a plastic disc, but why isn't it more prevalent in like K through 12 elementary schools? Yeah, it, I mean, it really should be. Like, it's an extremely, it's it's kind of the the issue of like the finances of Ultimate is actually kind of a strange one because like thinking about it, like theoretically, it, it's a very cheap sport to play. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, I mean, like ideally you would have cleats, but otherwise like you just need a space and a Frisbee. Like you don't need a bunch of fancy equipment. You don't need pads like football. You don't need, you, you don't even need like shin guards like in soccer you don't need any particular outfit. Like you can do it. anything you're comfortable in works. So it should, I mean, it honestly like should be much more prevalent than it is. I think like, I think it's an extremely accessible sport, but part of the way that it has grown, the culture that it has right now is also somewhat inaccessible um, financially, especially to a lot of communities because um, there's like, for example, a lot of travel costs. So like to play on a team, like I, get to play on we we go to like tournaments in like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin Florida like we have to pay all these travel costs ourselves there isn't a financial apparatus supporting the sport it's all like self-funded pretty much and so that's that's another reason that people are kind of pushing for professional teams because they're like if we can get this funding the sport could actually become much more accessible but as of right now the people who play are the people who can afford to financially support that sort of travel and um, like paying for like tournament fees and uniforms, like paying for like all the expenses of a sport out of your own pocket is not accessible to a lot of people. There, there are, there are good youth scenes in Boston and in the Pacific Northwest, but by no means like widespread, which means that a lot of people don't start playing till college. So that's just another barrier to accessibility is like, you won't even be, most people won't be exposed to it until they go to college. And so if you don't go to college, like that's just another, that's just another barrier to like actually encountering the sport at all at this point. That makes sense. So, but my mom is always telling me like, you should come back to LA and get ultimate in the middle schools. Like it'd be a great middle school sport. You can play it mixed. So with like all genders playing together. Um, And it's like, it's not unfair in that way. Like there, it's like one of the few sports I think that you can do that. And then it's, inexpensive to put on it has like really high standard of sportsmanship that engenders like respect for everyone playing it i think it would be like a great great sport for elementary middle schools to pick up we're working on it (laughs) where do you think is the best approach where does that lie is it a top-down approach where it's like all right let's build up our professional leagues um and get the sport visible or do we want to manifest more of like a grassroots thing where it's like let's get it among the youth and like eventually we'll have a lot of people, you know, wanting to make it big in this sport. Like, where's that balance lie for you? That's like a big debate, I guess. There are, there are definitely people who believe both of those things. Some people are like, the route to go is the professional route. Like, if we want legitimacy on a broader scale, we're going to have to show people that we can legitimately compete. So like, we need to get on ESPN. We need to get, like, we need visibility from a broader audience. And then we can start forwarding our movement in schools and for, for younger kids and stuff. Like, we need the visibility first. Whereas other people are like, no, like, the visibility is just putting us at risk. Like, we're putting ourselves at risk of, like, the way that so many other sports have gone, which is um, kind of idolizing the men's game 
above the women's game or the mixed game and then creating this like I don't know I mean it, it all has to do with making sure that everyone's equally respected and right now like I said because the men's teams are the ones that have the funding it's like we're, are we going to go down all the route of these other sports who went with their men's professional league first and then like the women's league is just an afterthought like think like NBA WNBA like yeah. I mean how many WNBA players can you name and like look up look at their salaries and so Ultimate doesn't want to go down that same route. And so there, there has been pushback in the community about going pro because there isn't the same funding for the women's leagues right now. So some people are like, it's better to have no professional at all than to have inequitable professional opportunities, uh, which I think I, I basically agree with that. However, I don't think that men's professional Ultimate is going away. So that was sort of where my decision to play to try out for the professional team came from, because I was like, well, I don't actually think professional ultimate should exist. Cause I think it just exposes us to a world who's not going to value all ultimate equally, like a world that is going to want to see the men's game more. And I'm, I'm okay with the world not having ultimate if they're not going to treat it the way I think it should be treated. But at the same time, I was like the men's leagues exist and they're going to keep existing. So I think there should at least be a women's league even if it can't be equitable. Yeah. Exactly. Where does where does mixed gender or the mixed teams come into play? Do you think that helps kind of, you know, relieve some of these stresses that the world would put on the sport? And then also with that said, kind of the Olympics and thoughts on that? Yeah, I have thought about that. Like, there was a time when I was like, you know, I think that maybe it'd be really good to have professional mixed like not to have a, a professional men's or professional women's, but professional mixed, because that could be, I mean, that would be like totally different from like any other professional sports that we see on TV. Um, and so if there was a time when I was like, maybe that's the, maybe that's the best route. I, I'm not a mixed player, so I can't really speak to like the way the gender dynamics turn out in mix though. Like from what I know about it, what people have told me is the higher level you play mix, the better it is like high, like really high level mix can be like great, great experience for men and women. And the lower level you get in mix, the worse it becomes for women. That's what I've heard. Um, I wouldn't like I haven't had an experience myself that would like inform me of that. I haven't really played mixed, but um, generally I hear that like low level mix, not great for women. High level mix can be great for everyone. So there was a time when I was like, maybe like professional mix, that would be great. But I don't like know a ton about it. And like there is still the pressure in mix to be like, oh, it's the men who are making huge plays and like oh if your men if your men don't know how to properly clear space then like the other team's male defenders can just go get a bunch of d's on the women on the other team and like i don't know part of me doesn't want to play mixed because i don't like the idea of not being able to be like the fastest one on the field um or like the best at jumping or whatever like things that like of course, if I play against like other women's teams, there will be women who are fa faster and like women who are better at jumping than me. But there's something about it that doesn't really feel on the same scale, and I don't really like I don't really like that feeling. I don't know. So I think I'm I plan to stick to the women's game for the foreseeable future. Though maybe at some point in my future, I, I do think it'd be fun to play mix. But I think for now, I'm sticking with women's. Do people have to? have like the make the active decision between oh i'm going to be a mixed ultimate frisbee athlete versus i'm going to be like a single gender athlete and then you have to like make a career out of like that choice i mean people people definitely go back and forth and like so it's basically like you you would just make that decision at the beginning of a club season so like you would go to tryouts 
some like if you're like someone like me like when I went to tryouts for club teams I only tried out for women's teams because I didn't want to play on a mixed team but a lot of people try out for both and then just like end up choosing whatever the best team they make is or I, I don't know they weigh like different factors but you just go to tryouts for for both and then you can choose and then you play on that team for a season but obviously every year can like reevaluate that decision and decide to try to play elsewhere there are people like there are certainly people who end up being like being branded like oh she's a mixed player or she's a women's player because um, like generally like people who like women's stick with women's as long as they're liking it people who like mixed will stick with mixed like when they have these like big tryout processes where they like make the national teams the coaches do prefer to pick um, people who have mixed experience for the mixed team um, which makes sense like I think navigating the dynamics of a mixed team is very different than navigating the, the dynamics of like a single gender team. So it makes sense to have, want to have people who have like done that before just to like cultivate a healthier environment from the start, I guess. Amazing. Um, I think on that note as well, sort of, you know, you talk a lot about sort of the trajectory people take within their careers. Where do you see yourself? So when did you graduate from Stanford? I graduated spring of 2018. So this is my second year out. I'm, I'm almost full two years out. My ultimate trajectory. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, in college, like my whole life was like Stanford ultimate. And I was like totally disinterested in the quote unquote broader community. Like people would talk about it. Other, other players on my team would be like, it's so cool. Like ultimate's community is so great. Like I, I'm so glad to be connected with it. And I was just like very, I was very, very like focused on like, I'm just here for Superfly. Like I don't even know what this sport is outside of Stanford. Like I'm just here for Superfly. Um, and I guess my first experience with like being sort of like an individual just in the mix of the broader community was after my junior year where I was invited to try out for the under 24 national team. So I went to Denver, Colorado, went to this tryout that had like approximately 100 people at it and played like 14 hours of Frisbee in like two days. And it was very hard and very fun. Uh, but that was the first time that I was, I felt like I was like just an individual in the ultimate community. It wasn't that I wasn't like just on my team. It was like, I was doing this like bigger thing because it was a bigger thing. I was like trying out for the national team. Um, but even after that, I just came back or I, I played my first season of club, but at that point was still much more affiliated with just Stanford ultimate. I was kind of like, I'm playing club to help me with Stanford ultimate. And then so graduating my club team became like much, much uh, more important in my like Frisbee and personal life because I didn't have Superfly anymore. So I was like, okay, kind of moving on to like another part of the ultimate world, which is club ultimate. And I don't have college to like fall back on anymore. Um, so Nightlock, my club team became like a super central part of my life right after I graduated. And then like has, has like remained that way since then. So my first time trying out for that, U24 national team was after my junior year and I didn't make it. And then I got the chance to try out again. Tryouts were in fall of 2018 and the, the tournament was in summer of 2019. And that time I did make the team. So then I got this, to have this whole other experience of like being on the national team and playing with all these people who I had played against in college and I like kind of knew who they were, but I had never like interacted personally with them. And they were sort of, I just thought of them as my enemies at the time. And then that was like also really, really cool. And really, that really, really broadened my like horizons of 
like where the ultimate community could like lead me. Um, because it wasn't just like a team. It was like a combination of these people from so many other places and so many other teams. And now like we got like an amazing few weeks together where like we were a team and then we dispersed to our various club teams and we just get to see each other at tournaments and things. And so it feels like I have this like network within a network, which is really cool now. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, Shayla, thank you so much for being here. We're going to kind of wrap things up with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh my gosh. I guess I'm ready. Okay. Worst injury you've gotten from Frisbee. Oh, wait a second. I have to think about this. Oh, this isn't very rapid. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I'm okay. kidding. You take your time. Worst injury I've gotten uh, from Frisbee. I had a really, really bad shoulder injury where I laid out for something that I shouldn't have laid out for. And I like twisted my body and, and I, I couldn't throw for like three months. Um, and it was horrible. But then I just like didn't really do anything and it magically got better, which is how most of my injuries turn out. All right. That's a little concerning, but okay. <laughs> what's the what's one rule you hate? In ultimate a rule yeah <laughs> like a technicality uh oh my gosh i'm so bad at rapid fire i'm sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> i feel like there definitely is one and i don't know why i can't okay we can come back to it we can go to okay, an easier I'll, one I'll keep, I'll keep about what, what's your favorite snack Tournament snack or just overall snack? We'll go with a tournament snack. I think the snack I most commonly consume at tournaments is just tortilla chips. Nice. I just, I, they're, they're the easiest. I get pretty nauseated a lot at tournaments from nerves, and they're like the easiest for me to get down because they don't taste like much. They're basically just salt. Yeah, nice neutral snack. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> um, who's your rival country when you're playing on the national team? Japan. Probably, which is interesting. They have a very different style than us, but they're probably the team most likely to beat us. That's so interesting because that's like the women's national team in soccer. Yeah. Like that's yeah, their that's rival. True. That's the same thing in baseball too, right? Like some of the top countries <laughs> right there. Okay. And just good at sports. Thank you so much for joining us, Dozer, Shayla, whatever your name is. Um, before we before we take off today, um, do you have anything that you want to plug, something that you're excited about that's out there in the world? two things that are basically almost the same thing. Um, the first thing is, well, and I don't know if when you're going to actually produce this podcast, but this coming like Thursday or Friday, unclear, I'm going to be doing a live stream on YouTube on Ulti World's channel where we like retroactively commentate one of our old college games. This is the 2016 national semifinal against Oregon. Um, and the friend who I'm, doing that with so who played for Oregon we are also trying to start like a YouTube series where we basically do that for all of the games that we played against each other in our undergrad all of which happened to be filmed somehow which is amazing so there's like seven or probably even more like at least eight games I think or nine that have been filmed so we're going to be doing retroactive commentary on that you can follow us on Twitter that I believe the handle is x nemeses x nemeses so exactly as it sounds that, I like to say that we're ex-nemeses because we were definitely nemeses in college, but then we played together on the world's team and now we're ex-nemeses. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. So that'll be on Thursday, April 16th, you said, right? I actually don't know when it'll be yet. They haven't scheduled it. It's either Thursday or Friday, but it's better to go on the Twitter and just watch the other things we're making. If you're interested in like an inside scoop and 
college ultimate and what it was like you can listen to our retroactive commentary on our own college games sweet amazing well thank you again very much uh miss shayla dozer harris for uh tuning in and chatting with us and shooting the shit i know we didn't even talk about the fact that it's a nickname in frisbee there's a lot of nicknames mine is dozer i got in a hard collision when i was a freshman and led to bulldozer aka dozer yeah you destroy the mailbox right did you not destroy the mailbox <laughs> wait did i invent that <laughs> That that did happen, but that was after I'd already been named Dozer. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thanks again, Sheila. All right, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Uh, a great episode in which we got a chat to our friend and ultimate Frisbee player, Shayla Harris. Um, Alex, how'd you think that went? I think that was super fun. I know that when Shayla was living with us in the same house, she would just like disappear for like days on end. So it's cool to kind of like open up the hood on like where she was been all this time. Yeah, definitely. It's always interesting getting the insight into one around that you're not familiar with and especially around that's such a big part to, you know, a really close and good friend. So just, you know, shout out to Shayla again for chatting with us and thank you to all you listeners for tuning into this hopefully exciting episode yeah thanks so much for joining us in case we don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night